Hello, can I speak with Tony, please? <laughs> you got me. Wait, Tony, stop, stop, stop. Tony, Tony. Hello? You're, you went quiet on us. Can you, are you still there? Hello? I'll be as loud as clear as possible, and we'll keep in mind, Scott, that Tony has a hard time hearing it. Okay. Hello? Hey there, dog fans. Welcome to episode eight of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast, the Georgia Vanderbilt wrap-up show. My name is Scott Duvall. I am joined today, as usual, by my co-hosts Will Leach and Tony Waller. Today, we're not in our studio and have recorded this episode via Skype to give our quick post-game reactions to what the three of us saw during the dog's 31-14 victory over the Commodores. Not sure if you caught the shots from the blimp on the CBS broadcast, but it was a sea of red in Nashville. Nice job to all you Georgia fans for making the trip up to the Music City for that one. So how did you feel after the game? The Dogs came out with a 17-point victory, and there were some moments where Georgia looked every bit of the top 10 team that they are, but there were other times when the play calls and the execution left all of us fans scratching our heads in unison. Obviously, there is some concern going forward amongst the Georgia faithful, present company included. So find out what Tony thinks about our shaky quarterback situation. Will and I hit on the good and bad of Georgia's special teams, but all in all, Georgia is 2-0. Sometimes it's just survive and move on. There are many teams in the country who would have loved a seemingly disappointing victory on Saturday. No more waiting. Here's Will to start us off. All right, hello. So uh, I'm Will. You guys know that by now. Uh, This 31-14 Georgia. Now, again, you guys have more experience following Georgia than I do. So I guess this is not new to you as it is new to me. A team wins a road game against a conference foe. You could argue maybe it was a little in doubt at the end. I don't think it was. I think they were pretty. There's never really a moment I worried that Georgia was going to lose this game. And everybody is freaked out. <laughs> Obviously, everyone's concerned about the quarterback, uh, particularly that first half. Tony, we'll start with you. Are we overreacting to concern uh, about Lambert? I think. People are panicking appropriately about the quarterback situation. Um, although, let's be clear, I, by no means, and this probably won't be a popular view, by no means is, is this outcome at all shocking or, for that matter, even something to be freak-out worthy. The game opened at 17-point spread. We've won by 17 points. Do we get the 31 points the way I thought we would? Yes and no. I mean, we, you know, I, I don't know. I the quarterback situation does concern me. Leslie Lambert has started out, you know, nine of 11 instead of finishing up nine of 11. Would we be freaked out by this? So I think the real question is at what point do the coaches have to think Lambert can't make the decisions we need him to make? Because it sure felt like there were times in there that were just basically like, okay, you got one throw, then take and run. And the problem with that is that. Once you get against a defense, although I think Vanderbilt's defense is much improved, once you get against a defense that can throw multiple looks at you, I mean, how much do they, they just take away now suddenly Liz Lambert, who is not a runner, running for a fly? Yeah. Scott, what, were you worried? Were you concerned? I got to tell you, watching that first half, I was like, wait, this guy's the guy. That, he wasn't even making great decisions, I thought, let alone not being able to make the throws. Were you concerned or am I, am I the only one freaking out? I was concerned after that targeting call on Lorenzo Carter. I, I had flashbacks. I think every Georgia fan probably started having flashbacks to two years ago up there. And it was eerily similar. It just kind of had that feel uh, like they were kind of sleepwalking through it, even though we know and all the Georgia fans know that they're, they're focused. But you know what? It's Nashville. And like Tony said last week, it's a sleepy little cute stadium. 
it was primarily a Georgia home game. And, you know, in 2007, they barely escaped with a 20-17 to win. 2011, when they went up there, it was the Todd Grantham, James Franklin, you know, brawl at the beach, WWE style. And then two years ago, it, everything went wrong. So that's kind of what's to be expected. You know, the way I look at it is they won and they advanced to the next week, still undefeated. I mean, Auburn could have easily lost yesterday. Arkansas embarrassed themselves. So, I mean, you look around the SEC, it can happen. They're 18- to 22-year-old kids, and Vanderbilt fields a team, and they're capable. There's a lot of Georgia guys on that team, so they probably get up for Georgia a little bit more than they do for some other games. So, yeah, I was concerned, but, hey, move on, and we got to really focus for next week against the Gamecocks. Let me take a little alternative view to that. I view it as a 17-point domination. They ran 20-something more plays than we did because they threw 50 passes. They still gained 22 fewer yards. They scored their only touchdown against our basically our backup defensive unit. I mean, would it would have been nicer to, to score two more touchdowns or you know even have the two more field goals on the board? Yes, but I'm like you. I never felt like the game, even after we muffed the pooch kick, I never felt like the game was in danger because in the end, we, we always had Nick Chubb. And, uh, and we still always had our running game, which averaged nearly seven yards. Nick Chubb averaged a first down a touch. It was like 9.7 yards. I, yeah, this is the kind of game, I, I think I tweeted yesterday, Georgia fans are finally where they're most comfortable, which is discontented. I'm concerned about the quarterback situation. I'm not happy about some of the facets of the, the special teams. But in the end, this was a 17-point domination against the team, and I get it's Vanderbilt, and, but I think at the end of the season, Vanderbilt's going to look a lot better than they do right now. They just their defense is a lot better. Their defense is a lot faster. They simplify their offense, and you know they're not going to go out and put forty-four points on somebody, but they definitely can hold somebody under twenty-eight and win a ball game. And and I get what you're saying, and I also know that there's a danger doing the wow. If you have this struggle against this team, what's going to happen when you play Alabama or so on? Because if that were true, Alabama will beat Auburn by eighty-five points. <laughs> the transitive property doesn't really work in football. Like certainly, there are things that they did yesterday that they will not be able to do when they play Alabama. But that said, they still won. They probably won't do them that badly. That's what they have games like this early on to help you fix a little bit. That said, I hate to keep focusing on this. But, man, I just did not see much from Lambert, even in the second half, where I really felt that comfortable with him. I'll be honest. And and I guess more specifically, I know there's no one more popular than the backup quarterback. But certainly it was a surprise to me. In fact, it almost felt like a statement by Rick. And I'm curious what you think of this, Tony. It, It almost felt like a statement by Rick that Ramsey only got his one series. Like the idea was if I put in Ramsey more than one series, that's going to look like, like to Lambert and to the fans and to the team that I don't have confidence in him. But I have to say in that one series, I felt Ramsey looked better than Lambert did again. Ramsey makes quicker decisions. And that cuts both ways. Yeah. Now, having said that, it would not surprise me in the least if we get a statement out of Rick after a review of game film, we felt like you know we want to give Ramsey a shot at starting. Because you're right, he did throw better. And there were at least three times where, where they cheated their safeties up. And basically, they had Mitchell and Michelle with cornerbacks on islands. And even last year with Hudson Mason, we would have seen him check out of the run and play that he had called, that had been called from the sideline. And the fact that they don't trust Lambert to make that call right now tells me a lot about where they think Lambert is as far as his development. 
I, I don't buy the, the more experienced quarterback. I have no doubt that Lambert out something Ramsey in practice. And I, I, I'd hate to be one of those second guessing kind of guys, but either Ramsey's better or he's not. And if he's not, we are in trouble. Yeah. I don't disagree with you about that because I think we are going to have to be more dynamic on offense when we get deeper in the SEC schedule than simply rely on Nick Chubb and Tony Michelle and Keith Marshall to carry the ball 40 times for 275 or 80 yards. So we're just going to have to. I was going to say, the, the one thing that kind of stood out to me was I noticed a couple times Malcolm Mitchell was singled up one-on-one. And you know, he was quoted in the paper yeah. today, and, and everybody knows he can beat just about any man one-on-one. You just wonder, is there a pause or a hesitation or just an uncertainty of Lambert and or Ramsey of not being able to just kind of get that ball to him down the sideline or across the middle. You know, it just makes you kind of hesitate and wonder, like, what's going on? Because you got protection. The O-line has been fantastic at not only run blocking but also pass blocking, and there's just almost that pause, a little bit of uncertainty. But, you know, to go with uh, what Tony said, I think Rick in the preseason camp made his decision that that Lambert is his quarterback. He's not going to start doing like a Steve Spurrier type of just kind of playing whatever quarterback comes to mind or that he feels is going to be hot. And I guess Lambert just did not do enough to lose himself the starting job, even starting out oh for, what, five before he completed a pass. So we've got a four-cylinder Porsche out there. You know, you've got all the parts and everything, but – you know, it's just the horses, there's just one component missing, and it's kind of a head scratcher, and it makes me a little bit concerned down the road. But I'm still, I'm still confident that uh, they're going to pick things up. Yeah, I wanted to bring up those Malcolm Mitchell quotes. Uh, he talked after the game. He said, uh, quote, teams are going to stack the box against us. Vanderbilt stacked the box, and we didn't pass the ball, and you saw what happened, and you did see what happened. Like The running game still worked, but... I mean, it was clearly they they had not they would have an eight nine in the box pretty regularly. He says until we get comfortable throwing the ball, pause, dramatic pause, a great thing that journalists do. We do dramatic pause to uh, to say what we don't actually want to say. I hope our defense shows up. And you know, he says uh, he says for me being a competitor, I see myself as one of the better athletes, and I'm not being cocky. Anytime I'm singled up in this man on man, let me do what I do best. And I think that is right. Is you know as much as. Uh, Tony, I thought you nailed on something very important there, which is the idea that if Ramsey isn't better than Lambert, this is worrisome. Because, I, again, th- this is not like Lambert is a freshman, and we're like, well, he's going to have to learn on the job. Like this, The whole idea of Lambert was that he was the steady guy who wasn't going to make big mistakes and could make the key throws when we see him. And I got to tell you, he didn't sell me on any of that. In fact, even when Ramsey was in there, he he played, he pulled off, like it was funny, you, you saw Lambert go 0 for 5 starting out, and then Ramsey comes in and like throws one uh, slant pass and then throw, pulls off the exact play action that I, we've been waiting for Lambert to do all game. And so, again, Lambert said after the game he... Didn't have a great game. It's not like Lambert was like, what do you mean? I was fine, guys. Like, he knows he knows he, he, he was off. But I guess that's the question is, even with South Carolina next week and Southern coming up, when is the point where we're just like, okay, Lambert, and I asked you, this to you, Tony, Lambert, just, did he just have a bad game? Or do we have to, because if this is the peak Lambert, or if he's just a little bit better than this, it's a bigger problem than I think maybe we've even, we've even maybe can comprehend. Lambert's biggest issue right now, and I don't think anybody that watched the game yesterday will tell you, and even the first couple of series against Joel Monroe, he just takes forever to make his reads. He really does. While it's worrisome, it's also confusing because 
he had a lot less time last year at Virginia, and he had he had some pretty good games last year at Virginia, even when he was running for his life. You know, I I, I don't know. I hate to worry too much about scheme, but at some point you have to think, okay, you know, we we've been spoiled by Mike Bobo. I know, I know. Everybody, calm down. <laughs> uh, we've been spoiled by Mike Bobo and his ability to develop quarterbacks, and more importantly kind of communicate with quarterbacks in a way that help them maximize their strengths and minimize their weaknesses. I think we need to get hip to the fact that we don't have Mike Bobo over there anymore. I'm by no means calling the, jumping on the fire shoddy bandwagon because I thought he had at least three series where every play call was a step in front of everything Derek Mason wanted to do defensively. You have to find something in your playbook that your quarterback is comfortable throwing because he started out 0 for 5. There was a legit drop. There were two legit bad passes. And the rest were just not really great like situations down in distance-wise. And I, I think it comes back to, be, to Lambert not checking out a place. I mean, there were at least two passes where he threw, and either he just decided he was going to make the throw. And I'm thinking where the floater safety almost picked the ball off the goal line. And one other where he, he threw into the coverage that either he didn't see or the play demanded he throw into coverage that – Georgia wasn't anticipating. And that's where it gets worrisome to me because you're not going to have games where you throw picks right in the hands of somebody and they get dropped. And or North Carolina found it two weekends ago. You throw end zone interceptions. It's just deadly. It's such a momentum swing. But hey, what about our defense? Can we yeah. talk about good stuff now? Yeah, we'll talk about good stuff now. First thing to talk about good stuff, Jacob Eason was awesome last night <laughs> on Friday night. He supposedly threw a perfect game on Friday, but no. Let's, let's talk about good stuff with this team, not future quarterbacks they have. <laughs> I got excited. Well, I don't think you can have any conversation about our defense without starting with, with Leonard Floyd. Leonard Floyd is so fast, he makes officials think he put his hands to the face of a receiver, or to a, a tackle, and went and said the tackle actually did the That's how fast Leonard Floyd is. You know, you bring up Leonard Floyd, but, I mean, Jordan Jenkins, yeah. he basically improved his draft stock to a mid-first rounder. I mean, he, I think he had 11 tackles, and half of them were for tackle for loss. He was all over the place. They couldn't contain him. And just the thought of him and then Floyd being able to pin their ears back I thought Vern and Gary Danielson did a really good job of giving kudos to the guys inside because those are the guys like Deloach and Mays. They're not getting their names called, but they are eating up blockers to allow Jordan Jenkins and Leonard Floyd to freelance out there. And it's our front seven is, what do you think, Tony? I mean, maybe top three, top four in the nation right now? After two games, yes. I think it's very safe to say they're easily top ten in the nation. And I think you're absolutely right. It starts out with the guys in the middle who are going to be unsung. Uh, I saw some uh, a little snips of them last week. Well, they didn't really get the push they needed. They didn't do whatever. Let me tell you something. If you you have your hands down and a three four defense, your job is to make sure blockers are occupied in the and, and run gap run gap stop. And they did that to perfection yesterday. I mean, Floyd Jenkins and Carter before he got kicked out of the game was in the back. Oh, they were in the backfield as much as is Bandy's running back. So, and that's exactly what we want to see out of our defensive front seven. You know, we could nitpick a little bit about pass coverage, and I think we got away with a couple, but we also played really aggressive defense uh, on pass coverage. I was really happy to see Jake Gaines get an interception after he missed one right in his hand. But the Floyd Jenkins almost had an interception uh, early on. The defense was out there for a lot of plays. Uh, game time-wise, it wasn't that much because they threw 50 times and threw 20 five or six of those as incompletions. But, they I mean, they held them to 400 yards on 89 plays. That's pretty impressive. 
You give any offense 89 plays, they can get 400 yards. It was, it was, I thought it was pretty impressive. They stayed on the field as much as they did, and they really didn't give up that many. They only gave up one big play, and they really held their run game in check. I have no complaints at all out of defense right now. If I may be doom and gloom guy a little bit more, obviously uh, Isaiah McKenzie, joystick, full-on awesome moment. I'm not really concerned about his hamstring anymore. So that's the good thing. The bad news is, you know, we talk about uh, things that are the best in the nation. A lot of people were booking Marshall Morgan as an All-American kicker, and he certainly did not look like that yesterday. Yeah, I think he has Blair Walsh syndrome. You know, Blair Walsh is one of the best kickers in the NFL now, and I think his senior season at Georgia, he was awful. I'm a little bit worried that, you know, maybe it's like a golfer. You, know, you get the yips or you start thinking too much. You know Marshall Morgan has it. I mean, he's hit some boomers and some key kicks for us, especially last year. But if I remember correctly, towards the end of the season, he got a little shaky and inconsistent. I'm worried that maybe it's spilling over into this season already. Or missing kicks yesterday is not a good omen for that, and that is something they have got to get figured out. You just never know. South Carolina is always a tough game for us. And we're going to need Marshall Morgan. Is there anything more to take away from this game before we start looking next? Where I, I, I don't want to overreact to it too much. I really feel like we could do the whole podcast about the quarterbacks, to be honest. Like, that was really, I think that was the major takeaway of the game for me. This is not a game, as I said, they were, it's not a game they were ever in a lot of danger of losing and ever a game where I was really worried about them losing. But, you know, as we saw yesterday... On one hand, if you remember in the pod, in the preview podcast we did last week, I said I'm a lot more worried about that South Carolina game if they lose to Kentucky, <laughs> and then they did lose to Kentucky in, in somewhat frustrating ways. I still feel like that's a game that a lot of things would have to go wrong for Georgia to lose, but there's still a lot of stuff to clean up. It feels like even on the defensive side, even even as tired as they were, the end, as many plays they had to run, there was there was room for people uh, in the fourth quarter for them to do some stuff. Is there anything else takeaway that you feel like okay, we're gonna have to clean this up for next week, or we're gonna run into more trouble with South Carolina, or do you feel it's just quarterbacks and uh, and maybe maybe that uh, maybe Morgan, Tony, are you still here? Oh, we lost Tony. Oh, Tony must be in a bad area. We lost Hollywood. Repeat, we lost Hollywood. <laughs> Scott, give me, while he's getting back in a better area, give me any major take, any final takeaways from this game. Yeah, we could nitpick all we want, but yesterday was weird in the country. I mean, you thought Virginia was about to upset Notre Dame, and then they're like their fifth-string quarterback comes and pulls one out. You know, Tennessee had theirs in the bag, and they blew their biggest lead since 1980 when, they, when the Georgia Bulldogs and Herschel Walker came from a 16-point deficit. And, you know, look at Arkansas. Brett Belima spent all week complaining about Ohio State's schedule. And what does he do? He doesn't take care of business against Toledo. So, I mean, I think we're okay. I mean, we're 2-0. and We're healthy. And I think it's going to be just coming down to executing and doing what we do best, which is run the ball and play solid defense against South Carolina. Yeah, certainly of note that we have made it 20, 20, 25 minutes into a podcast and have not mentioned that Nick Chubb ran for 189 yards on like, <laughs> on like 19 Ks. He didn't get a touchdown. He's so close to That would have been one of my favorite Chubb plays ever if he would have stayed in bounds because he's just yeah. Barely uh, went out of bounds. That was like a terrific, like that would have been a perfect way to show just how big and powerful and very nimble. Sorry to cut you off. The reason why he didn't score was he didn't lose his shoe. That's right. how he, <laughs> it was kind of a similar run as he had against Clemson last year. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, like, he was great, and we didn't see a lot of Marshall, but so Michelle had, like, totally remind you, right, he would be a starter on almost every other team in college football. And it's, it's also, it's funny, it's always weird to call Michelle, like, a 
change of pace back because Chubb is really fast. <laughs> like He's just not as big, but certainly uh, they complement each other uh, extremely well. And it's always nice to know that like when Chubb needs that break, you have another potential all-SEC running back that, to put in there. So that's very handy. So I'm not going to worry too much about that. Okay, pause. Tony, are you still here? I am still here. Okay, I'm okay. sorry about that. I went through a little bit of dead area. Okay, so Tony, do you have any major final takeaways you want to have from this game before we start looking forward to South Carolina? Well, I think the biggest takeaway to me will be let's see what happens with our quarterback and see what, more importantly, what Coach Rick and or Coach Schottenheimer says about it because you can't ignore the the five the zero and five start. You can't ignore how. Lambert seemed to take a long time to make his reads. And even Coach Rich knows that at some point that's going to tell on us in a way that's going to cost us a ball game. Now, the answer may well be the second thing I said, which is we're in bigger trouble than we think quarter- with quarterback. But I, it's going to be hard for me to imagine us not at least giving Ramsey a shot at doing something different uh, rather than just ride the Lambert course all the way down to the ground. And, and look, I like Preston Lambert. He came in and he did everything he was asked of. Um, my takeaway from this game is that you know, which Grayson Lambert the coaches think are getting? The second half Grayson Lambert, the first half Grayson Lambert. And I, I would think early in the week we'll know that. Yeah, and to be honest, I'm not even sure second half Grayson Lambert is enough, but I am doom and gloom about this, so don't listen to me. I, I'm just used to the stylings of Wes Lund. So <laughs> they did well yesterday, Will. Congratulations. I'd like to say Illinois, Illinois is has outscored their opponents 96-3 to since firing uh, Tim Beckman. So in case you're wondering whether they are lamenting his loss, they are not. And I'm actually oddly, yeah, think- I'm oddly optimistic about next week is now, after we see how bad South Carolina looks at, looked last week, I'm not finding North Carolina particularly scary, which is who Illinois plays at next week. So, uh, But yeah, that was I, – I, I'm, just, I'm just saying Illini fans aren't worried. Why are you Georgia fans so worried? <laughs> Well, Illinois is leading the nation in scoring defense, so exactly. that's one of the signs of the apocalypse, I'm sure. Or there's one of the signs you played Kent State and Western Illinois in your first two games. Yeah, but, I guess um, that could be fun. All right, so we're going to be back on uh, uh, Tuesday. I think uh, you guys are going to be doing the podcast. I'm going to be in Los Angeles going in to, to cover the Republican debate, which is Wednesday night. But I think if we can get the timing right, I'll still be able to call in. We're going to figure all that out. But but no matter what, we'll have the Tuesday preview show. Uh, and uh, I don't want to get into too much of the South Carolina now just because we'll have, a, we'll have a whole show to say about that. Other than the fact that, man, like I don't know if you saw after that game, but that like – there were South Carolina players questioning Spurrier's play calling. <laughs> like, it kind of looks like that thing may implode uh, sooner than, than we could have even thought. But maybe we can hold on to that for next week. Well, uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer bunch, in my opinion. <laughs> Save for the hate for the preview podcast. Um, That's right. All right. <laughs> all, right. all right. Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, and uh, I'm sure Scott will, uh, will see us out here. But uh, otherwise, we'll be back on uh, Tuesday with the preview episode of South Carolina. And thanks for listening. Will, Tony, and I greatly appreciate it. Make sure to enter our Week 3 Pick'em Contest. You can find it on the front page of funofficepools.com. Just look for our podcast logo, or you can get the link from Tony on his website at georgiasports.blogspot.com. A special mention to last week's number one ranked picker, Siski. S-I-S-K-E-Y. Nice name. And a special shout-out goes to our overall leader in the clubhouse after two weeks. You heard us mention her name last week, and that honor again goes to UGA Carey. Atta girl. If you'd like to hit us up on Twitter, you can find us at WSLS Podcast. 
Tune in later this week as we preview the South Carolina game. Take care.